In this session, we are jumping back in to our overall approach to uh, studying the Bible. So as we continue our course on studying the Bible for all it's worth, reading the Bible for all it's worth, we're, um, we're kind of pausing here. So we, we set up the approach in the first couple of sessions of um, the Bible, the nature of the Bible. It's a, it's a divine book. Um, it comes. It's the voice of God. It's speaking to us. And then we recognize it's a human book. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of things happening um, in all of that. And so as we looked at those two things, we then paused because as talking about the Bible as a divine book and a human book, we paused to just kind of acknowledge um, there's a lot that's unique about the way the Word of God uh, came down to us. And so last session was like a bonus session. It was like a, um, an aside in many ways of just kind of how did the Bible get pieced together? How did it come together? This session, we're going to jump into the meat of what we're trying to do. And, and as I said at the beginning, we have a five-fold approach. Uh, POIMA is the acronym. So it's P-O-I-M-A. And this is going to give us a structure to follow. Now, at first, a structure feels pretty rigid, um, and it can be artificially rigid. It is artificially rigid. But the structure, as we follow it, it gives us some guidance. It gives us a way forward. And then over time, what that does is that just kind of goes all under the hood, and then we just drive the car. Uh, and so it becomes more natural. It kind of just sits in the background, and it, and it does provide, it kind of shapes our approach to, to all this. Um, but it sits more in the background. And so we're going to start um, in, in our POIMA acronym. So the POIMA is, uh, P is preparation, preparing ourselves to hear uh, the voice of God through scripture. We'll go through that today. Um, the next though is observation. And so we're going to sit there and observe what does the text actually say? What is God actually saying here? Not just what do we think, not just our glosses, not just our summaries, but what's really there in the text and what's actually missing in the text. And that's a great stage. Um, I'm excited to get to that. I is interpretation. And that's where we stop. Now that we see what's really there, we ask, okay, what does it mean? How do I interpret this? Like, what, what does it mean first to the original audience? Then what does it mean to me today? Um, then M is a stage where we pause and we say, okay, now that we've done the work of observation and interpretation, um, we need to stop and meditate. Um, so M is for a meditation. And we just pause and we say, um, okay, Lord, um, I've learned all this. And rather than just letting this information then go into our head, and then we immediately just dispense it to other people, um, we, we first let it soak into our souls and sink down into our bones and, and allow it to speak to us and shape us now that we've seen everything in the observation stage and we've, we've wrestled with it in the interpretation stage. Before we get to the application, just let it sink deeper down so it's not just an intellectual exercise, but we're allowing God to speak to our own souls, shape our own souls with the, the words that we've uh, studied, interpreted, and wrestled with. And so that's a great stage to, to put in there before the A, which is application. And that's where we say, what does this mean for me? How do I respond to this? What does it mean for the people that I'm teaching or leading? How, how can I call them to respond to this? So that's our, our peep, uh, our poema, uh, preparation, observation, interpretation, meditation, and application. And we're going to go through in the next sessions, just one at a time, those, those stages. So we start with the P, and the P is prepar preparation. Okay, and so um, as we do this, the, the reason we prepare is because there's a lot of pitfalls that we can fall into when we get ready to read or study the Bible, okay? And so, you know, one major pitfall I see, first of all, and this is probably obvious and probably not that intelligent, but here's the, the reality, is that often as a pitfall, we, we don't study the Bible, okay? Um, you know, we, we, we want to try to do like some kind of rhythm where we come back to the Word of God. You know, it, it always is striking. I, I struggle with this as much as anybody, I think. 
we've got the word of God, right? We're looking for guidance and wisdom and everything in our life. And we have literal words from God that he's spoken to us, to, to different people over different times, whatever. It's all um, meant for our benefit, our growth, our guidance, um, our, you know, our shaping, our transformation, our sanctification, all those things. And yet the biggest pitfall I think we fall into with studying scripture is that we just don't do it. Um, we don't read it. Um, we don't read it carefully. We don't read it seriously. And so the call, first of all, is to say, hey, you know what? Let's do something. Let's get some kind of rhythm going. Um, you know, for me, that's looked like a lot of things over the years. I had a period in college where I would be reading like, man, eight, eight chapters of scripture or something like that a day, um, just really disciplined, Old Testament reading, New Testament reading, um, reading over and over. And it was great for me. That hasn't been sustainable or even necessarily healthy for me in every season. Um, I've had periods where all I do is I, you know, wake up. First thing I do, I used to check social media. Now I check, um, I, I read a chapter of the Bible and I've actually been keeping that up for years. It's been such a good thing. Just read one chapter every day. First thing when I wake up and, um, it kind of just sets the tone for, um, my day and, and what I'm thinking about and kind of what's the first thoughts that come to my mind. And so th- that's a simple thing. It doesn't take long. Um, I have other things that I do now and I know a lot of other people have a lot of approaches. So that the whole point is something is better than nothing, right? And so don't fall into the pitfall of not studying. Let's do something. It doesn't have to be as rigid as our poema plan every time, um, but we're just letting scripture speak to us, okay? Second thing I see as sort of a pitfall before we study, and this is where preparation is going to help help us, is sometimes I see a lot of people studying out of guilt, reading the Bible or studying the Bible out of guilt. I mean, guilt is a powerful motivator. We all know that we should uh, read the Bible, right? We feel that way. Uh, maybe we've grown up in a church culture that really insists on that, um, you know, in Sunday school or whatever, um, different phases of life, we get this sense of like, man, I should be doing this, right? Right. And so I think, you know, I mentioned already, uh, there was times in college where I would um, read, man, eight out, eight chapters or something a day. And for a while, that was really healthy for me. I was just a sponge and I was soaking all up. But then I, then I entered a period, you know, after a couple of years of doing that, where um, I felt like I had to do that. And I was... Um, kind of beating myself up over times when I couldn't get that done or, 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 you know, my discipline kind of flagged or, or something, you know? And so, um, but the problem with that is that becomes like legalism, right? Like legalism comes into play here because what we do is we create our own standards of how much or how often we ought to read. And then we hold ourselves to those standards or we hold other people to those standards. And we, but those standards were never given by, to us by God, right? They're things we made up and we found them healthy for a time. And so, you know, be careful about studying the Bible, reading the Bible out of guilt. It can motivate us. Um, it can get us to do something that's actually good, um, but it's not the right motivator to have. And in this line, I want to mention something else too. I don't try not to be bullied by other people's practices. Um, so people will say things like, "You have to get up early." Like the right time to read your Bible is the first thing in the morning. I mentioned that that's a practice I've been doing for a while. Um, but I, I'm just telling you, there's nothing in the Bible. There's nothing that God says about you, the the most godly time to read your Bible is first thing in the morning. Now, I think it's a great time. I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, you know, but people will quote things like God's mercies are new every morning. You know, um, that's true, man, that's true. Um, that doesn't mean that that's when you have to do your Bible reading, you know? So just finding what's, what's right for you. I, I know, you know, I had a rhythm that worked for me and then Laura and I had kids and then that rhythm no longer worked for me. You know, it was like I was exhausted or I was running to, you know, I, I used to read early in the morning and then I started seminary and my first classes would start at like 6.30 a.m. and I had to, you know, be up way earlier than that. And it's just, no, I can't, I can't do it. So I found out the times that worked. And so all that to say, don't be bullied by other people's good and healthy practices. 
Um, anytime someone's describing their thing or even telling you, you should be doing this, take it with a grain of salt, learn from it if you can, maybe try it if you want to, um, but don't let it give you a standard that you have to live up to or follow. Another thing I see, and I think this is a little bit subtle, I don't think many of us would ever acknowledge this, but I'll just say autobiographically, this has been really true of me, is there's a pitfall in studying the Bible where we study it for like status. Um, and so I think, I, you know, for me, I think I went through phases kind of in my early ministry training where I wanted to be like the Bible answer man, you know, like I wanted to be the one that knew like, where's that, where's that chapter and verse? And there's this gratification you get from being able to come up with like, oh yeah, that's uh that's Philippians 4.13 or, or whatever, you know, or, or like, Hey, what's a good verse on anxiety, you know, and you're able to quote um, a passage and um, there's something about that. And there's something, of, there's some kind of a status we get in certain circles, depending on what circles we're in, where, um, you know, you, you, you know a lot. You're able to teach. You're the one that's giving the insight, not the one that's just receiving it. And, um, man, it's so good. I mean, we want to have um, the Word of God soaking into us so that we can distribute it uh, to other people and bless them with it. Um, but I, I, I think there is a status and there's a prideful element in wanting to be the one that's always explaining, preaching, speaking. And I'll just say, this is a danger for pastors. I mean, we, we get the immense privilege of speaking um, the word of God to God's people on a regular basis. And you kind of fall into a rhythm where um, maybe that's expected of you. Maybe you expect it of yourself. And there's something so healthy about being with God's people. And um, sometimes I get to share something that God's put on my heart or I've, I've noticed in scripture. And, and I need to always be in those places where I'm also like hearing what God's put on other people's hearts. And um, it, it doesn't matter who spent the most time studying it or whatever. So as we study, you know, there was a time that I was like, man, um, you know, whether it's a, a classroom that I was in, a pulpit that I was preaching from, like a Bible study that I was in, a con- converse, casual conversation, um, I was really motivated to study because I'm like, I need to know. I need to be the one that knows this. And um, I just say, be careful with that. First uh, Corinthians 8, 1, Paul says like, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And uh, man, we do not want to be people that are puffed up. I just, we all know what it's like to have that person that is just um, always the know-it-all, always trying to prove to somebody else how much they know. And, um, and it's just, it's just not healthy. And so we don't want to be that. So watch out for that as a motivation, as a pitfall to fall into. Um, And then finally, like the last one I want to mention here in terms of like, as we're getting ready to prepare ourselves for studying the Bible, be careful about um, reading or studying the Bible only so that we have teaching material. So my, my guess is you're probably um, engaging with this course on some level because you you want to teach something. You're, you're leading a Bible study. You're um, you know maybe you're preaching sermons uh, on some level. Maybe you know whatever it is like. Um, so be careful though about reading the Bible only for that sake or studying it only for that. Um, I I have felt this tyranny over the years um, when I was teaching um, at the college level in a classroom. Um, when I've let, taught led Bible studies, courses, and certainly preaching, where your only interaction with the Bible is, um, okay, I've got to read the Bible because I have to have something to teach. Like Sunday's coming and I've got to have something. And of course, the Bible is like the most powerful source we will ever have for our preaching, our teaching material. Um, but when our only relationship to the Bible comes when we're like scavengers, just trying to find something to glean um, and, and then distribute rather than just like sitting under it, learning, enjoying the Bible, 
um, that's an unhealthy thing to get into also. And so that, that's a tough, tricky balance. And um, I always wrestle with it. But man, just finding ways. And, you know, I, I mentioned reading the Bible first thing I wake up, just a chapter. Um, that's never integral to my teaching times that I that I have the opportunity, the privilege of doing. It's just a way to kind of feed my soul and just put it in there. And then I, I have that during the day and it's helpful. And so having rhythms where you're just feeding yourself. And ideally, when you're, you're preparing to teach, you're also feeding your soul in the process. And man, that is, I have found that's so powerfully true over the years. Uh, but I also know there's that that tyranny. Just coming to the Bible as a scavenger, coming because you have to find something that I'm going to give to people. And it changes the way you read the Bible, too, to some extent. You're trying to read um, in a way that's just ultra insightful. And sometimes you just need to let a story be a story and let it wash over you and see what God will do as those seeds that are planted there grow and, and bear fruit. Okay, so those are the pitfalls we want to be careful for. And that's how we prepare ourselves um, is, is we want to like be careful to avoid some of these pitfalls we could fall into. Now, as we prepare ourselves to experience the Word of God, we're trying to put ourselves into a place where, man, God's Word hits us in the way that God intends. It's a way of coming back to acknowledging, okay, um, you know, the, the, the book, the Bible is a divine book. It comes from God, and so we're going to hear the voice of God um, when He speaks, okay? And so the first thing um, here is that we want to come to the Word of God humbly, and my goodness, I cannot tell you like how important it is to come humbly to the Word of God. And I don't know if that sounds strange or not. Obviously, like um, coming to the Bible, uh, coming to God Himself humbly makes sense. But but if the Bible is God's Word, right, um, then we need to come humbly before that too to hear His words. I want to read to you Isaiah sixty six one and two. And um, and in this section, um, you know. God is speaking to his people, Israel in the Old Testament. He says this, such powerful words. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that she would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. And here's where I want us to key in. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And that is such a great reminder for us as we approach the word of God. Because, you know, I think there's a sense in which he's saying like, you know, what house are you going to build for me? How are you going to impress me? How are you going to get my attention? You know, and I think we do these big things, these big shows to get God's attention. And of course, you know, the temple was God's idea, the tabernacle was and all these kinds of things. But he's just saying, look, all this stuff is just things that I've made. The wonders of the world, um, the, the beauty of creation, all things that I've made. That's great. But look, this is the person I'm going to look to. This is the person that's going to get my attention. This is the person that I'm most interested in um, seeing what's going on with this person. The one who's humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And I love that reminder because God has is God. I mean, he's, he is who he is and he's made us to be his creatures. He's made us to be his children. Um, and so that's such a privilege and Pride is this killer of this right relationship with God. And so as we come to scripture, we want to come humbly always. And just that idea of humble, contrite in spirit, quick to say that we're wrong, quick to say that we're sorry, quick to repent, quick to turn, but also trembling at the word of God. And so when God speaks and here he's speaking through Isaiah, right? And this does get recorded as scripture, but just even when God's like, Hey, here's my message, go to them and say, thus saith the Lord, you know? And so God is speaking to his people and he's saying, when I'm speaking to them through you as prophet, like, I I want you guys to tremble at my word, like 
whoa, this matters so much. God just spoke and these words I am, I have so much respect for. I'm trembling when he says this and I'm going to be careful to do, listen to everything he says and do everything that he calls me to. Well, it's really no different when we read scripture. It's, it's thus saith the Lord and he's speaking to us. And so we want to tremble at his word. We want to have that humility. Uh, James um, 4, he talks about how like God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so we, man, coming to the word of God arrogantly, and I think that happens often. I think it happens often. Coming pridefully, arrogantly to the word of God, we want to instead come in humility and just, Lord, speak to me what you want to speak to me. Um, I'm your child, and I'm here to listen. I'm here to tremble when you speak. One uh, one great uh, thing I've come across is uh, Emily P. Freeman. Uh, my wife is listens to her podcast all the time, and I've listened to some of it. It's so good. And what she does is when she reads uh, the Bible— she also says this phrase, it's a bit liturgical, and I think it's really helpful. She says, this is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. And so coming with that reminder, there's nothing magical about it, right? But coming with that reminder, every time you read the word of God, you know, a, a sort of a liturgical statement like that, this is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. It reframes in your mind. It kind of is that pause and that check in your spirit of, okay, whoo. This is the Bible. This is different than anything else I have read or will read today. This is different than anything else that someone says to me or will say to me today, right? This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and is given to us in love. Man, what a great reminder. And so maybe maybe you, you borrow um, Emily P. Freeman's uh, approach here and you use that exact liturgical phrase um, every time you open the word of God. That'd be amazing. Maybe you come up with your own. Maybe it's just a prayer that you pray. Maybe it's just a moment of silence where you close your eyes, but you were trying to humble ourselves before God and just say, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you guide us? Um, you know, and obviously personalizing it, would you just speak to me right now, Lord? Would you help me to see the nature of your word and these words that I'm going to hear? Lord, would you um, just guide me with it, remove the things that are going to keep me from hearing it properly? Um, along these lines, okay, so that's come humbly. I, w- I also want to say we want to come introspectively to the Word of God. And I think, by, you know, by that I mean come, come introspectively, come checking yourself and come willing to learn. Come like just saying, okay, Lord, um, I've got interpretive baggage, you know, as I sit down to, to read this. Um, uh, Kevin Van Hooser is a like theologian philosopher. He says, interpretation never takes place in a cognitively and spiritually clean environment. So I like that. He says, when we come to interpret the Bible, we're never, we're never clean, we're never um, unbiased as we do it, right? This, this environment's never cognitively, like mentally or spiritually clean, right? Um, and so basically acknowledging our baggage. Okay, so I'll just say for myself, um, every time I read, you know, Jesus telling the rich young ruler, sell your possessions and give to the poor and then come and follow me. Um, I have a predisposition to read that passage and to conclude that Jesus does not intend for me to give away my possessions and give them to the poor, right? Like I, I, I am invested in my culture and in the material blessings that I have. And so it would be, it would take a miracle of the Lord for me to read that and be like, you know what? I think Jesus is actually telling me that I need to sell my possessions and give it to the poor, right? Instead, I'm more likely to conclude, as everybody else does, that, well, yeah, Jesus said that to him. And sometimes that might be the appropriate thing. But really, you know, what he's saying is just don't let your goods get in the way of your relationship with God. Now, that that is a great interpretation. It probably is the right one. But I have to acknowledge that I'm predisposed to believe that and to take off the table the harder application, um, the hard, harder interpretation. And you know, Jesus actually intends for us to get rid of the stuff that matters to us. 
And so we have to acknowledge sort of our baggage with that. So we want to be ready to have our challenges and our, our like challenge our assumptions and um, like be taught, be corrected by the Word of God. We, we looked already at Second Timothy three sixteen seven, seventeen. The Word of God is uh, is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for reproof, you know, for teaching, for instruction in righteousness, like these kinds of things, uh, this is what the Bible does. And so we want to come and um, and come introspectively, come willing to learn and allowing ourselves to be reshaped by it. Third thing that we want to do as we're preparing ourselves, we want to be humble. We want to be introspective. We also want to come hungry. And so I want to read um, on that front, I want to read 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter, um, Peter is talking to um, this group of Christians, and he's been talking to them about um, the Word of God. And, um, and so, as he's been talking to them, um, he's talking about how, man, um, the Word of the Lord stands forever. The Word of the Lord being like this good news that is preached to them. And so, he's, he's talking about this living and abiding Word of God. And then he says, that's at the end of 1 Peter 1, at the beginning of 1 Peter 2, he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. And like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And what a great passage. I love this. And so we can even practice a little bit here. So with, the, with these words, we can ask ourselves, if you have First uh, Peter 2 open in front of you, or if you want to open it up, you can look at it and ask yourself, like, what is the main verb um, here in this sentence? What's, what's really going on? Um, and so we can look at it and we can see things like put away all malice and deceit. That feels like it's kind of the, um, the main thing, but actually, actually in the, in the Greek, and I, I don't t- like love digging into the Greek, um, with English learners. I don't love kind of making them feel distant from what's really going on. But, um, in this case, you know, we're, we're in a course, it's a little bit deeper setting. It's okay. Um, he's telling us to put away all malice and whatever that putting away is sort of like a, a participle. So it's kind of like the manner in which we're going to do the main thing. So we're going to do the main thing by first kind of putting away all this deceit and hypocrisy. Um, and the only real command, um, in here is in verse two, long for the pure spiritual milk. So we want to long for it, have a strong desire for it. Like that's what the um, the actual thing is. And so how how are we to do that? Well, that's where the um, that's where the adjectives and the describing statements come in. How, how are we supposed to long for this milk of the word? He says we're to do it like newborn infants. That's the um, the analogy that he uses. Like newborn infants, we long for it, um, and so. Our longing looks like babies longing for milk. And so when we say preparing ourselves for the word of God, we want to come hungry. We want to come like a baby that's like, I need that milk. I want it so much. And that's how we should come to the Bible is, man, I need this um, sustenance that you're giving us, Lord. Um, and so, you know, he says, he says like, you know, we're going to long for this um, spiritual milk or whatever. And, and, and what, is the, what is the spiritual milk? I think he's talking about the word of God. And that's, that's where I kind of started by in the end of First Peter 1. He's concluded that by talking about um, the word of the Lord, the living and abiding word of God. And so he says, because of that, long for that pure spiritual milk. And so um, I think that's a good call for us that when we sit down to read our Bibles, it's not just a chore. um, We get to hear from the voice of God and this is like our spiritual milk. And so coming hungry to that whole thing. Now, while we're in this verse, I want to throw in another one here. Um, And this is, uh, this is uh, my fourth one here is come in repentance, come to the word of God in repentance. And I I don't know how that strikes you or how that feels to you, but, um, but, but look, I mean, we said in verse one of first Peter two, um, 
put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So I think he's saying um, almost the prerequisite or the, the manner in which we approach this longing for the word of God is by putting away things like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And so I think what that's really saying is um, lay it all aside. It's qualifying the main verb. And it's just saying like, when we come to the word of God, come in repentance, like come acknowledging things like envy, slander, deceit, hypocrisy, whatever is in your life, come holding that with a loose hand. Because once again, our, our sin will distort uh, the word of God for us, right? It'll distort God's voice for us. It will lead us away from that. And so we want to come and just say, Lord, I am I am a sinful person. I acknowledge that. I, I, I'm not going to beat myself up over that in the sense that I know that I'm forgiven in you and I know my value before you. I know that I'm your child. But Lord, I, I stray. Um, I, I, I go astray in so many ways. And so as I approach your word, Lord, I just want to hold that all with an open hand. And um, and so, you know, all, all this stuff, we're going through it like it's in depth. I'm really talking about a, a few moments where we just pause and we come to the word of God and we just say, okay, Lord, help me to be humble as I do this. Lord, help me to be hungry for the things that you're saying. This. Help me to be introspective about how I'm processing it all. Help me to um, let go of the sins that are holding me. And so, you know, even that example I used of Jesus with the rich young ruler, sell your possessions. Um, what is it that would keep me? It's some of my baggage, for sure, my interpretive baggage. It's also some of it's my sin, my greed, right? My desire to be, to have the stuff that I have and not wanting to share those with other people. And so coming in repentance helps us to just take the word of God at face value as God said it and, uh, and follow it that way. Two more things. We want to come obediently to the word of God. And here I have in mind James 1.22, that we want to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. So James reminds us that like, if we're reading the word of God, but we're not obeying what it says, we're hearing it, certainly. But he says what we're doing then is we're deceiving ourselves. We're, we're deceiving ourselves when we only hear and we don't do. And so there should never be a scenario in which we are reading, studying the Bible, and all we're doing is hearing. We're not responding. We're not obeying the things that God calls us to, the ways that he convicts us through it. So come obediently to the word of God. Um, and I, I think this is this is the reminder. Like 1 Corinthians 13 um, has has this built in. You know, if I... Um, if I well, let me let me let me actually read it to you. I, I already mentioned First Corinthians eight that we uh, we want to be uh, not uh, knowledge puffs us up, but love builds us up. So we he's already in that letter in First Corinthians eight called us to a love that just you know builds up our souls, like strengthens us, edifies us. But he says then in first uh, in in chapter thirteen verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. I mean, he's reminding us. He's just saying, like, look, you can know everything, but if you don't have love, um, it's worthless. It's not going to help you, um, and it's actually going to be worse. You know, um, just so just think of trying to teach people while you're just a banging gong, clinging symbol. I, I there's this. This story um, from when I was in seminary, Francis Chan came and spoke for a chapel. And as he's there, he um, pulls out some pots and pans from behind the pulpit. He's preaching on 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. And as he's preaching, pulls out pots and pans and starts banging them together, but just continues to preach and continues on that for like an uncomfortable amount of time. And, um, and then he, he kind of stops and he says, look, I, I want you to see this is literally what Paul's saying. You can preach your sermon. You can talk about all this. You can tell people about the word of God. But if you don't do it with love in your heart, if all you're doing is just 
sharing things that you know. Paul's saying this is literally what it what the value of that is, you know? And it's this powerful reminder. I, I think it's very true that we, we could, man, if we're not reading obediently, any teaching, any sharing, any um, presentation of the words, the things that we learn um, is going to fall ultimately flat because um, we're missing the actual heart of it, which is obeying it, which is responding in love, which is, um, you know, letting these things sink down into our hearts and our minds. And so finally, the last thing I want to say um, with regard to preparation is we want to come believing, come believing. And I, I think this is so important because it, it, it call, I'm basically calling you to have a faith bias as you read the word of God. And so come to it, come biased, come believing that, man, these are the words of God and what he says is true. Okay. And so when I come upon a, a promise or a prophecy in the Bible, like, Am I going to believe that what it says is true? Now I'll have to tease out, I'll have to observe, I'll have to interpret to kind of figure out like what like what is that actually calling me to? What who's it for? When's it for? All those kinds of things. But do I believe that what the things that God is saying are true? And when I come across principles listed in in the Bible um, presented there, do I believe that those principles like like man that that like my life is going to be better if I base my life off them, right? Like, do I believe it so much that I will base my life off of it? You know, um, do I, do I believe the descriptions of God's characters like so much that, that I'm going to like relate to him accordingly? Like I, I want to see like, if it says God's good and loving, like, am I going to choose to relate myself to him in that way? And so that's the call with all of this is to go deeper, um, to, to not just be an objective observer, but to allow ourselves to be subjectively related to the Bible. Um, meaning that, of course, God has absolute truth and, and, and he's speaking absolute truth to the Bible. But will I allow myself to be the subject of that and relate to it? And, um, and not just allow that truth to be true, but allow it to be true for me as well, um, because I'm going to relate myself to it properly. So all these things, and again, there's, there's artificiality in the structuring of it. There's, um, it's, it's more rigid than it needs to be. But the call is to kind of just process for a minute, okay, yeah, what does it look like for us to prepare ourselves to hear the word of God? Um, you know, I, I've done it plenty of times, you know, now that the Bible is accessible on my phone, I'll switch from Twitter and I'm reading all these things that people say, people say, people say, people say, and then I switch over and it just takes the movement of my thumb. I can switch over to my Bible and I'm reading. And um, there needs to be some difference in my mind, in my soul, perhaps even in my rhythms that um, allow me to see that these words are different and I'm going to think about them differently. I'm going to respond to them differently. And so this preparation phase could be long, doesn't have to be. Um, but just looks like clearing our minds, clearing our hearts, um, acknowledging our biases, um, coming humbly before the Lord, picturing the fact that this is now God who's going to speak to me. Um, we might say, you know, something like Emily P. Freeman of this is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to me in love. Whatever we do, we're just going to come. We're ready to obey, ready to learn, coming hungry for him to speak to us, um, ready to believe what he says is true. So that's the preparation stage, whatever that looks like for you. Um, next, we're going to jump into observation, and uh, this is a really important step that we typically overlook, and I'm excited to share that with you in the next session.